You're listening to The Perth Property Show, Australia's only weekly property podcast by West Australian experts for West Australian listeners. Catch your latest episode every Monday at 7am. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to The Perth Property Show. My name's Trent Fleskins, your host. As always, this week, we've got my favourite guest back in the studio for the first time in 2023. He's got some fanboys these days. I have people genuinely badgering me to get this guy on the podcast. Brendan Ptolemy, Managing Director of Heron Todd White. Thanks for coming in, mate. You're a celebrity. Yeah, good day, Trent. The glare, the glare, <laughs> the, the hot spotlight on my rude head. Lucky it's a, a podcast. Yeah, Clearly, people value your input. And again, thank you. This is episode 218. Yep. Thank yeah. you very much. I look forward to another great year with you. Yeah, we're Happy going 2023, man. Yeah. yeah, it is, right? 2023. I have to say that when I was going through the last quarter of 2022, I was quietly confident about Perth and where Perth was at. Coming back from Christmas, seeing how the feel has been, and it is a feel backed up by the data, I'm, I'm actually feeling quite strong about this year. Even in the face of a good couple of interest rate rises we expect to see over the next two to three months, I feel that Perth really has a buoyancy about, uh, nearly a pride about being the only market in the country that people are talking positively about. And yep. that, I think we will provide a bit more of that boom feel about it simply because uh, we are only 10% of the market and the other 90% are for the first time in a decade having a look at us. Yeah, it's really interesting in that I think we potentially go back to that uh, decoupling from the East Coast uh, cycle of the market. So in that last cycle or the cycle that they're just coming out of, i.e. increase into the decrease, we potentially continue to go up from here and that traditionally is what we always did that we would go up when they were going back down you say decoupling i would posit that we've never been coupled with the market yep. and in some in many cases we've actually had an inverse story to the east coast yeah and again we've spoken about this before is it coincidence is it that we only ever get the east coast money when they're not interested in their own market and that's what causes a lot of it is it simply that the mining industry does really well when the rest of the world is not doing that well and we're obviously a major beneficiary of that and yeah. from an immigration and a wage perspective all those factors i think yep. create a situation where at certain periods in our cycle we have significantly more demand pressure and because of the small base of our construction community always a supply factor that can't keep up at certain parts in our cycle yeah and that's what creates what people see as a boom and or bust situation yep not simply because we're cowboys that like to mine iron ore yeah yeah essentially covid meant that that event meant that we uh, coupled up with the east coast for the first time in my career that i can remember certainly looking at the the stats across our business across all of australia we had as much valuation volume happening in WA as we did in, in not in terms of quantity, but in terms of percentage of market and, and activity happening, as much happening in WA as we had in you know, Queensland, New South Wales, Victoria, all at the same time for the first time ever, all in an upward trajectory. Whereas, as you're suggesting in the past, we've always been counter-cyclical to the East Coast. Yeah. Mm. It's a good feeling. It's nice to be the popular kid. Yeah. And I think we're going to lap it up for a little while. And certainly, I can see, even with the statistics on this podcast, as you know, we don't advertise to anyone. We yep. don't spend a cent telling people about the podcast. People find us. Yep. And I looked back two and a half years ago, there were about three times as many West Australians as there were anyone else listening to the podcast. Now, there are significantly more east coast people listening yep. to the podcast and there are west australians yeah okay and Interesting uh, the, the number of west australians has continued to increase but the number of east coast 
people yep. has multiplied massively. Yeah. So that is, a, I think, a perfect analog and correlation between what we've heard from other guests that have come on corroborated that, that, yeah, man, half of our sales are going to East Coasters. Yeah. The other half are going to Perth people or people who are coming in who have just emigrated from the UK or from India or these sort of places too. Yep. And I guess we'll talk about that today. We'll talk about immigration. We're going to talk about liquidity, serviceability, the rental market, all these things that you're obviously across all the time. Hey, congratulations. You've been appointed to the Residential Committee of the Property Council of Australia, WA chapter. Yeah. What do you think of that? Yeah, it's great. I, for whatever reason, haven't been involved directly with the Property Council in the past. We've been members for years and years and I just thought it was good timing to finally kind of put my hand up and one of those little things that you go through with COVID and go, oh, we've got to get out and about again. And the committee I'm on facilitates hearing what industry is doing in that residential sector from a number of different areas. So that committee's got architects, builders, developers, bankers, all of those people around the table. And just hearing how they're going within the the residential property sector is, is just fantastic knowledge. I think the really big issue at the moment is construction, whether it be single residential or multi-residential. There's a lot of approvals, a lot of pre-sales in place where the developers are not able to get that product out of the ground because of construction costs. And by that, I mean, it's not coming out of the ground because there's no profit in, in undertaking the development. And even if they wanted to, the banks wouldn't approve it anyway. Yeah, potentially. Because there's no profit. Yeah, and the really big issue there is probably a fixed price contract. So the bank will say to the developer, if you're going into that development, we want to know that the builder's not going to charge you more along the way. And we know that there's contingencies, but we still want a fixed price contract before we lend on it. And the builder's clearly not going to give a fixed price contract in this market. So that might be because of materials. It's going to be also because of uh, labor costs as well, changing during the life of the project. If you could take a punt, and I know you don't like this, taking a punt, neither do I, but let's just, uh, red or black, I guess. Which one's going to give out first? Is it prices will increase to justify the construction cost or construction costs will come back down to justify the project? I'd be more confident in construction costs coming down during this year, mainly because we can see materials decreasing in cost, as in inflation has backed off on things like international transport, some of the steel cost, and then labor cost is still a really big issue there though. No one wants a pay drop, do they? No. Exactly. And so, no one needs one because people are still turning down work. Yeah. But what we're seeing, if you take that residential, single residential sector as an example, as the wombat gets digested by the snake, we see that concrete pads are less in demand now. So where does the concreter go for his next job? Can they go to a multi-residential site and therefore drop their price to get that work? Brickies are through that cycle as well. At the moment, we're in the chippy and the and the gyprock cycle or sheeting cycle. So those guys have got way more work than they can deal with and would be charging premium prices. Mm. Then back to some of the fundamental stuff, like uh, they can't, you can't get scaffold. So why are you going to start a site or start a construction if you know that there's no scaffold at the moment? But that should be available potentially as other projects finish in maybe six months' time. Yeah. That's disappointing in a way because I want to see prices go up. We need to see prices go not up dismissing in this that. multi-res not dismissing space. That. Yeah. The fact that we have projects sitting there pre-sold, and we've got evidence to say that developers have been back to those pre-sale customers and said, hey, look, my construction costs have gone up. I'm wearing some of it, but I need to increase the price of your pre-sold apartment. In the luxury space, those consumers are saying, yeah, that's fine with me. You can increase the price Just that I've paid. Just build my apartment, please. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Can you please build my downsized dream? Yeah. Because what I'd like to do is get out of my 1,000 square meter lot in the western suburbs because I'm sick of mowing the lawn. I think that's you've nailed it on the head there. The people that can afford it are accepting it. They're yeah. savvy enough to do so. They appreciate this is where the world is these days. 
they probably also look over east and go yeah i can't believe i'm i'm only paying 1.8 mil for a penthouse three better with views all around the city when yeah. you probably pay double that in sydney easy so what well, i've got evidence in brisbane they're paying 25 grand a square meter yeah yeah, and what are we paying here? Uh, we we're down at kind of twelves to fifteens. Uh, Fifteen would be a, a massive premium, Perth. Yeah, F- yeah. Fifteen yep. is a luxury apartment. Yep, yep. And we're we're more like twelves. Yep. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's pretty crazy. Isn't and it? but yep. and then you go to the other side though. You made a, you were very specific about it's the luxury market. Yeah. We're not seeing people in Maylands or in Melville who are saying, yeah, man, I'll cop an extra 50 grand. Yeah, and that's a difficulty. In particular, if they're just coming into the market, their liquidity and their affordability is going down while the developer's then saying, oh, can I charge you slightly more for your one-bed apartment within the same complex? So it kind of doesn't work. The other thing on those luxury apartments is the people that are selling out of a property to downsize or change their lifestyle are probably selling something that's going up in value. So in the meantime, they're they're probably looking at their apartment going, oh, I'm paying 1.8 for that. Oh, I need another 100, 200 grand. Okay, I can do two mil because right now my quarter acre in Netherlands is worth two, probably worth two and a half by the time this apartment's finished. Becomes a net net. Yeah, yeah, let's yeah. just get this done. Already bought the dream. I'm on board. Yeah, it's sort of distorting where supply is going in the uh, in the high or medium density space, and it doesn't really. I mean, yes, we we need it in the downsizer space in the western suburbs because we never really had it, so you, you can't discount that. But what we really need is for the market to afford to be able to buy and build. Uh, develop medium and high density product in the middle space because if we're not doing that, then the alternative is a house and land package on the fringes, which is no good for any of us, or maybe, I guess, it's a medium-density townhouse development. And those things are super expensive to build. Townhouses used to cost 200 and something, maybe 300 grand for a normal townhouse to build. You now pay half a mil for a townhouse. I'm not talking about a two-story house on a half block. I'm talking about a one in six or one in four. Yeah, yeah. And then you've got to add the land value. Then the developer's got to make a profit. Yeah, yeah. There still lies an opportunity in that I would expect those construction costs to potentially correct uh, a little bit more quickly. But then you've obviously got to get the development up and get Mm. designs done and all those kinds of things. So there was a sweet spot for a little while there because the townhouse end value was going up really quickly as construction costs hadn't taken off. So if you're locked in a fixed price contract as a developer and you had the pre-sales or you had the project ready to go, there was a little sweet spot there for a little while. Yeah, we got lucky in that in one of our developments in Dalkeith with a premium builder and we locked that in early 2021. And I would think, unfortunately for the builder, that most of that profit's gone for them. But at the same time, we're probably six months delayed. Yeah. So, you know, it hits both of us both ways. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk about, I guess we can segue into, given we're talking to this, we're talking about serviceability. Yeah. What do you know? Listening to you and Sam talk in the last week or so around those interest rates going up, uh, I think the market, our risk from a, a valuer point of view, we, we're relatively pessimistic in terms of the players in this marketplace and our concern about consumer sentiment and therefore this flowing into property values going up in most suburbs is around that ability to go and borrow money, how much you're able to now borrow. And history says that if the market can only borrow less money going forward, then values usually follow that, i.e. they follow down because there's less liquidity there for the marketplace. So as you and Sam talked about, potentially that means you go to a different suburb and and realign your expectations in terms of what you can afford. And that's great. Lots of people can do that. Historically, that does have an effect on property value. So if there was not the undersupply situation that we have in our marketplace, we'd be probably a little bit 
pessimistic about where the median house price was going to go this year and values across a number of suburbs. I think that's fair. Again, we can't generalize Perth because there are definitely suburbs where most buyers are not hitting their servicing limit. Yep. And they're still not going to in another 50 basis points. Yep. That's where demand and supply just kicks on. You're probably still going to see like many suburbs in Perth in the third and fourth quartile made 15, 20% last year. Yeah. We're not talking about them enough because yep. that's a huge part of the story. Yep. But you know, a lot of the first and second quartile properties in terms of their price point, a lot of people have, have hit their serviceability limit. Yeah. And that's where, yeah, I think that the only way you really see price growth there is if those people get wage growth yep. or if new people come into the market in that space either from immigration, for yep. example. Otherwise, it will simply be a Mexican standoff nearly between serviceability and the demand supply ratio that doesn't really allow prices to fall, yep. but doesn't really allow prices to go up in some of those price points either yeah we always like to look at the opportunity here and so the opportunity in in some suburbs will be the fact that the people that can no longer afford to buy in there step out and go to the suburb next door yeah down a value level Ripple effect and then the people that are left that can afford it actually get a chance to jump into that upgrade and because there's less competition so values may not drop there because you've still got a buyer there's 10 people that are potentially buying the house as opposed to the 20 that were there in the past or the 10 could always afford it yeah it's just there's less offers on the table So I think there's a lot of pent-up demand out there in in really good suburbs where people looked around when there was a lot of activity and available cash. They got annoyed with the process in terms of having to compete with too many people and they potentially come back to the market here and go, they haven't spent their money elsewhere and they come back to the market and say, hey, that uh, upgrade option that we thought about last year, that we got annoyed, we walked away, it was not a great buying experience, we weren't interested in completing it and so they may come back to the market and, and therefore values either stay where they are or more importantly probably go up i think that's right when the experience that i've seen you know people like craig gasper and wembley west leadable told me is that look and, and a number of people have said this actually we don't have the 30 offers that i had anymore it's a bit less work for me to be frank because now we've only got three or four offers but yep. those three or four offers are still there they're still genuine and they're still pushing price points because they're still competing with someone yep it's just not as fervent and as crazy. It's more considered. Yep. And the seller doesn't really need to sell most of the time. Yeah, yeah. Especially in those first and second quartiles. Most people there aren't in an MIP, a mortgaging and possession situation where yep. they're struggling. That's how they got there in the first place because they're not struggling. And if we bring that back to that supply side issue, there's under 8,000 properties on the market across housing units and land in Perth Metro at the minute. It's completely ridiculous. If you come back to that supply question, what's where the pressure point will be in terms of pricing and product will be something that doesn't need work whether it's a renovated character home or an established dwelling that's relatively new the market will come for that and demand it essentially anything that needs some maintenance work or renovation and extension or a knockover and build will be less popular and, and may therefore suffer and might yeah. have an opportunity i think that's an opportunity yeah, yeah. for people to get into a suburb the further has consolidated to ready to go properties or yeah. ready to go homes and therefore there are will be those little levels of opportunity there yeah but you're right it is not only a an affordability issue for the sales market but it's also an affordability issue in the rental market did you think in your lifetime you'd see a vacancy rate less than half a percent no i'm trying to recall back to that kind of 0708 boom and then we had our blip in 14 15 where those stories around fifo's renting rooms by the night when they you know essentially uh, treating apartments in the city that are not hotels like hotel rooms people renting it on a long-term basis and then swapping in and out as they go in and out of town. I think we're probably on the cusp of starting to hear those stories. I saw a build-to-rent type complex in Rockingham that just came across my desk this week, built by the developer as a purpose-built rental 
accommodation for short term. It's not a hotel, but it's essentially like that. And the occupancy rates off the Richter. They've got government people coming through there, federal government, defence people. Suddenly, you know, you start getting people that go, well, I don't have anywhere else to live, so I'm going to have to rent that short term accommodation on a nightly rate of could be a 200 bucks a night Um, and they're they're occupying that because they have no other options between uh, long-term rental I don't see this getting better anytime soon well and that goes back to that supplier side of things so if Mm. the builders aren't uh, able to construct anything because they've got projects on hold because there's no profit in it then where are we creating that uh, rental supply into our marketplace? So capital supply as in owner-occupier supply as that also means that there's no rental supply there too. Yeah, we're talking about the fact still on the property council that we can't start builders already yeah. still, right? Yep. Well, even if they started them tomorrow, which they're not going to, and they're not going to anytime soon yep. because we know that those things don't change very quickly. Well, then it's still another two years before they're rentable. Yeah, yeah. So we've we've still got at least another two and a half, three years of this situation, and it's really hard to look at the data and go, it can get, it, it could get any worse than this. Yeah. Because you're at point three percent vacancy rate. Well, you can't get negative vacancy rate. Yeah. So you've only got. 0.1 and then there is no properties available at all right yep. but it's not going to get any better I couldn't imagine it gets any worse than this but it will yeah. it has to it's just that's it's going to keep going down there we have less than a thousand I think there's like 800 and something properties on the market across all of Perth to rent yeah yeah, yeah. it was only a few years ago that we had more than 7,000 properties on the market for rent yes and the rental vacancy rate was 7.5% yeah 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 yeah, it's pretty crazy to see how it's changed. And I, I think um, one of the other things that might be happening here too is there's less media spotlight right at the minute. I don't know whether that will take off as a story this year. The other thing I'd been reflecting on recently, having gone to over the last year or so, going to places like Kununurra, travel obviously for work to Exmouth pretty frequently, and you go and see the old complexes that were built in those locations as workers' accommodation, and they're still there, which is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. You know, we're talking timber frame and... and Dongers. Uh, asbestos yeah. sheet stuff and, and that kind of thing. Kunnan are obviously built for Lake Argyle Dam and all those kinds of things. So I go back to those things and go, work back then, what are we doing wrong now to not be able to get some approvals to get that type of accommodation out of the ground? Uh, we're just much softer these days, I think. I don't yeah. think our society and therefore our planning approvals process finds that as an acceptable housing outcome yeah. and therefore it's so much more complex for everyone so much more expensive and, theref- and therefore it's much harder to make it work yeah you look at all those workers accommodation camps that we build up north we clearly have some sort of ability in this and I just wonder whether there's something that the government can do I know we've got Bullsbrook sitting there empty and it's no one's a- doing anything with that uh, uh, yeah so um, I, I don't know whether there's something the government can do there to, to create some of that supply because clearly we need to solve, you know, chicken, egg to solve the construction cost side people. of things. We need people. Even if you can go and get thousands of workers from somewhere else in the world that are all specialised and ready to go, where are they going to live the day that they arrive in Perth? I assume you're going to agree with me and I haven't asked you this off air. I'm going to ask you right now. Rental prices must go up this year. There's no other way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's And... Uh, you know, this sounds really a bit of a cop out, but it's just absolutely simplistic demand and supply. So the median's five thirty right now. Yep. Uh, four bedrooms, five eighty. Yep. I don't see any argument for why you, we won't see at least a ten percent growth in rents this year. Yep. Which for investors is good news. It means that it starts to pay for those big mortgage increases they're going to feel this year, yep. especially if they're coming off fixed rates. For renters, it's going to push them into the sales market. And this is a great example. Uh, one of the people in my team, they've been looking at renting for a little while, just cannot find anything. They're a perfect candidate. 
Yeah. Someone I would rent to for 20 years if I could, right? Yep. If I had place available for them that suited them. They just, if they're fed up with the, trying to find a rental that suits them. Yep. They're just going to buy a small unit in Wembley to solve that problem, yep. even though that wasn't their preference. Yeah. You don't hear many people that get forced out of the rental market into, they didn't yeah. want to, and they're going into their sales market. Normally it goes the other way where they want to buy, but they can't, so they just rent. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's very strange. The only thing I can see as a slight relief valve there is that some rental supply might be created as new homes are finished. But as we know, so we'll, number one, we're building a peak number of homes at the moment, but that amount of supply doesn't correct the supply from a rental point no, of view. No, it's nowhere near enough. Yeah. So as those renters come out of that market and into owner-occupier, it probably doesn't create that space. Now, the only other thing here, Trent, to think about is how cities evolve when rental pressure comes on. And so you go from a, a situation where a person says, oh, I'm only going to rent my own place. And then you move into a marketplace where, say, overseas migrants come in and go, oh, well, I've lived in chair houses all my life. You know, if you've lived in the UK, that's probably a pretty common case. And so our, our market evolves to going, okay, the supply t- comes down to almost like bed accommodation as opposed to house accommodation Ooh, or unit accommodation. Let's think about it. Some of my favorite TV shows over the year have been, you know, your friends, Big Bang Theory. <laughs> yeah. I mean, these are based on people sharing, a comp- their lives are in share houses. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and they're not poor people. They're just normal people in their 30s and 40s who are going about their lives. Yeah, yeah. That's what they do. Yep. And so I'm starting to hear uh, normal suburbs, like northern suburbs of Perth, where a standard 4 by 2 is starting to be rented out on a per-room basis. You know, that's common around universities in WA for student student accommodation, around, you know, UWA and Curtin and that kind of stuff. But it's not common in just normal People in Perth aren't used to having to accept that. Yeah. I want to remind everyone that two and a half years ago, the median house rental price was $370 a week. Yep. Now it's 530 Yeah, that's crazy, isn't it? Yeah. Because that means we're talking median stats here. So median house price is in capital value value back then would have been mid fours maybe slightly above that and we're at five thirty fives now yeah, yeah mid fives so that's it, clearly it's gone trended up. in a yeah. similar way yeah yeah but rents are definitely more acute than that yeah. uh, look all it means is normally the rental market is for me the canary in the coal mine that yeah. if you start seeing rental pressure drop off drop off eventually within a year or so you start to see the sales market drop off yeah but we're forecasting rental markets going to only getting it tighter yeah and there's yep. another indicator there that the sales market can only get tighter simply because there is no alternative market. Yep. And so then you go back to our original question about, you know, will house prices go up and will market pressure continue in the face of interest rate headwinds? So most of the other factors that we just talked about say that value should go up because of demand and supply pressure and that that's stronger in that headwind of interest rate increases and will therefore push values up. Maybe it's more prudent to ask this question instead and this is one that I guess would be fantastic in the face of all the junk we've heard from the East Coast commentators in the last 12 months. I don't believe I'm being brave by stating publicly that I believe across the board generally house prices should go up this year in most areas in most housing types. Yep. But I think there's nearly no risk for me to say at all that I don't believe we'll see negative growth. Even if a market doesn't see much growth based on what we spoke about with affordability, I don't see a situation from fundamentals where prices could actually drop simply from undersupply. Yeah, I think we'll we'll look back in 12 months time and there might be maybe one or two suburbs, but it's going to be very, and that'll be kind of those series of one-off 
transactions yep. or small data sets that influence numbers downwards. So it makes me nervous, mate, making uh, what we would think are bullish predictions of values going up. But um, Hey, you haven't it, been wrong in five years, Brendan. <laughs> um, and it's not recorded on yeah. you. So. And then the other part of that, in terms of giving listeners some insight, if you're sitting around on your hands thinking, I'll just wait, then I'm, I'm just not sure that that's the strategy. So the opportunity is back to where we talked about before. Some people will have to step out of the market from an affordability and liquidity point of view. So there is an opportunity there for you to get back in and have a look around. Yeah, At the level that you can afford. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I would say it'd be very important for people to make sure. They'll have to do that anyway, simply based on the assessment rates that banks provide. Banks are assessing you now at 8%. Yep. But make sure in your own budget that with the sacrifices you may need to make, that you will be able to afford an interest rate, not only at the level you're at now, but probably at the worst, another percent higher. Yep. Knowing in the back of your head that if things turn out the way that optimistically we'd like them to, we're probably going to see another couple of rate rises in the next few months. Be yep. prepared for that. But also, someone like Gareth Ed, head of economics, is pretty confident that rates will start dropping into the year too. Yeah, I'm actually reading some stuff from commentators talking about, uh, and their East Coast base, but one of them was saying that they're polling the economists that there might be 50-50 result in terms of yes no for the next interest rate increase as in February meeting. Some of them are saying that maybe they'll go one more and call it 0.15 and, and that'll be a warning to the market that you know, they might still go again in March, but it could be the end of it. I'd love for the increases to be over just so that everyone can calm down and get a bit of consumer confidence back into the marketplace yeah, and understand really where the is, future is. It would be a huge shot in the arm for Perth yep. if we didn't see a cash rate rise in the next couple of months yep. I just think we will yep. but if we didn't oh the level of confidence that would build uh, there are some inflation numbers around for WA that are that are very exy like inflation the highest in the country but generally in the macroeconomic world inflation's pretty much peaked and we're starting to see that cycle and so Obviously, that means the RBA will be looking at, at that data, not the Perth data, and going, well, okay, it's time to move on. Now, from our point of view, just in terms of customers and, and listeners and what they should be doing, so our world this year is about refinance, Cliff. So you know, what volume does that push from the banks into our world? The most important thing for listeners is just to have a look at that capital value that they've got. So is it trending upwards? Has it gone up by 10% since you bought or built? Is it going to continue to go up? And so that gives you that decent equity piece in terms of getting you past that 80% LVR or below the 80% LVR? And then does that make sure that you're out of that mortgage stress area and, and gives you the opportunity to actually go and refinance and find the best rate after you come off fixed interest rates? So first thing to look at, especially if you've been on Keystart, is if you believe you're now under 80%, certainly you have to go get yourself a refi just yep. for your rate. And I'll extend that even further, Brendan. If you think it's possible out there, guys, that you're at 70 or 60%, yep. banks offer better rates yep. if you can prove via your valuation with your valuer that you are at that, those levels. Yep. A lot of banks now are giving a better rate to someone at 70% than 80%. But if yep. you're not asking that question or getting that valuation solidified, they'll just give you the 80% rate. Yeah, exactly. And so from our point of view, and I know this is self-serving, but we would always recommend to people to hassle their bank to get a full valuation done so that we can see the entirety of their property and maximize the value and be confident around that value. The banks have lots of other tools to look at value. So they might say to their customer that we don't need to do a valuation, we'll just do an AVM. That AVM could be easily, so this is an automated valuation model that's a computer telling you what the house is worth. Yeah. Um, it could be 10% less than what we are. It might be above as well. 
I don't reckon that's very common. It's a conservative model, right? So, Well, that's pretty interesting you say that because I still remember a time not so long ago where I would prefer to do an AVM because I was confident that that would be higher than what the value would provide to me if yeah. you actually walked through the house. Yeah. That was only three or four years ago, Brendan. Yeah, and that was so a downward cycle in the market. You're saying think you guys are probably yep. going to be higher end. Yeah, I, I would hope so. Just from the point of view of us understanding what's happening in those marketplaces in most suburbs in Perth and regionally, and therefore looking at those sales evidence and talking to local agents and having a human analyze the data versus the computer giving the answer. All right, so we've spoken about an AVM. We've spoken about a full valuation. Can you explain what you're going to get out of a desktop valuation from you? Yeah, so desktop is essentially us looking at... Humans looking the, at it, Yeah, right? so a valuer, qualified, certified practicing valuer looking at the data. Most of the time, because of the volume of valuations we do, we'll have seen the sales evidence, i.e. We'll, we've walked through the house that has sold. That's our advantage Maybe in terms of our professional ability. ability. Yeah. yeah, and even most recently. So we can look at that sales evidence and look at the subject property. Now, just remember on the subject property, we're looking at the data that's made of available to us. So that could be old marketing photos from realestate.com. So we're using CoreLogic products most of the time or might be using PropTrack product in this space. And so we get presented with a set of data, certainly you know, Google photos from the street and those kinds of things. Then we'll make our call on what we think the value is worth based on that data. But if you've done a renovation recently, you should be yeah. pushing your bank. I want a Absolutely. full valuation because I reckon I've added 50 grand to yeah, the yeah. kitchen. Yeah, exactly. Number one, if you know that your marketing photos are uh, from when you bought the property that you've improved since then, yeah, I would be just pressing the button as hard as possible with your broker or your banker to say that. Yeah. Well, it's, it's very telling, isn't it? Because it must have been a time now as a valuer where you've got, you feel like you've got minimal risk in Perth to do your job. Whereas a few years ago, always a little bit nervous about whether someone's going to hit you up because you're a little bit too bullish. Now, can I assume the collars loosened a little bit for you guys to be a bit more bullish about where you expect pri- or be a bit more current about prices? Yeah, it's just a little bit of a confidence thing too. But also, you know, in a downward cycle, unfortunately, we end up in disappointment management because you're going back to people and saying, oh, last time you touched your property asset, it was worth $500,000. The market's gone down by 10%. That's not a great outcome and it's our job unfortunately to write a report that says that and then the customer gets that report eventually or gets the number, maybe not the report and there's a fair bit of disappointment going on there. Yeah, it's the Not the case now though. Yeah, not the case at the moment. I would expect it's a positive outcome most of the time. You got some anecdotes for me on rental stats? In our team, get one of our valuers come and present to the team on a monthly basis about their patch just to make sure that our valuers uh, understand what's happening in other markets around Perth Metro. And Steve went through uh, Belmont for us yesterday. It's really interesting that a couple of the rental returns jumped out at me. So we're talking about less than five-year-old, medium-density, one-bedroom type product that's been constructed through Belmont. Those rental yields were as high as 7.2% gross. And uh, the other couple of examples of high ones were 62 and 6.1% on one-bedders. And that's on essentially rents that have already been set and are probably trending upwards. So pretty interesting returns when you think about investors from locally and interstate getting into that marketplace. Perth has always been the highest yielding capital city when it comes to rental yield anyway. Yep. And now it's just supercharging. Yeah, yeah. As an investor, when you're sitting around going, is it the right time to get in? And we're talking about capital values going up. If rents are going up in lockstep or even exceeding the capital value increase, then obviously it's a very positive time to buy 
Last thing I want to talk about is land sales. Land sales feeds into this conversation we've had over the last half an hour about supply. We've spoken about how our apartment supply is essentially iced right now. It has been for the last year and a half. Nothing's going to come on. Nothing has come on. And so no one can buy new infill product. Yep. No new infill supply. Land supply is that urban expansion. It's a part of the conversation. It's my less preferred part of the, part of the conversation, but yep. it is. It always has been the ballast for new supply in Perth's market since Perth's inception. We've yep. continued to grow. We continue to sprawl. Now, here's an interesting one for you. Back in 2013, the September quarter, we sold about 4,500 blocks of land in, the, in 2013. Back in the September quarter of 2020, when we had the build boost, we sold about 5,000 blocks in that quarter of land, right? Yep. yep. The worst time before that building boost, we got down to about 1,200 blocks of land in the, I'd like to say it's about the December quarter, I think, of 2018. Yep. We just got our numbers that came in in the September quarter and the December quarter in Perth and under 1,000. Yep. It's the first time in the last... 15 years and it looks like even longer if i extrapolate the graph out even more that we've sold less than a thousand blocks of land in a quarter yeah yeah yeah. so there's a few things going on there one of them is supply in terms of their land being available right this minute listed for sale is 1672 blocks of land available and obviously titled and ready to be sold in perth metro those sales rates are running at about anywhere between 20 and 40 per week at the minute which is obviously really low but then the other part of that supply equation is essentially the costs uh, we talk about construction costs going up so let's not forget that a, a land subdivision is also constructed it's built infrastructure you've got civil works you've got machine operators that are in high demand difficult to get you've got some supply inputs things like limestone blocks and the cabling and those kinds of things that might be difficult to get so that is creating an issue in terms of uh, developers actually being ready to spend the money or get the supply to get blocks out of the ground so similar issues to apartments, really. Yeah, getting and people then, to actually build it. Yeah, so that's for the stuff that's in train. And then when you talk about a developer pressing the button on the next stage, then you're back to that argument that we we're having at the start about when when is it is it still viable for them to press that button at that cost to because land prices aren't going up effectively. No, and the issue with land prices is that they're constrained by build prices because it's the house and land package that limits people's affordability. Yep. So if the build price has gone up a hundred grand, it doesn't really leave a lot of space for the land price to go up to make up for the extra yep. cost it cost the developer to get that 30 block subdivision done yeah yeah yeah. Um, so it's both sides of the coin right now in supply it's not like don't worry apartments are slated but we've got heaps of land coming on it's pretty easy or the other way around there's no supply coming on at any point yep in the spectrum relative to what our median uh, normal amount has been yeah 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 so we're restricting supply other than those houses that are being completed as a result of the construction incentive but which everyone's yeah. moving into they're all owner occupied yeah they're all sold anyway it's yeah. not new supply yeah where does that new supply come from and is there more intervention required from government or whoever else that might be to create that supply into the future because we can see there's a problem right now but the problem continues to get exacerbated for the whole of 2023 yeah i, I scratch my head to try and figure out how you solve that problem how do you make apartments affordable to get building and allow the construction market to minimize their risk and not go under like a pindan did yeah well the only way really you push that is by providing cash grants to the buyers to allow them to pay more essentially because yep. we can't see a way that construction price is going to go markedly down 10 15 percent i'm just not sure that's going to happen yep. and then 
you look at the land side and they're trying to look into ways to reduce t- red tape, but red tape on the land side is nearly as bad as red tape in the apartment space. De- yep. Development contributions are through the roof. They've just they've just enacted another developer contribution for providing future schools contributions in the area. It just adds more and more cost to it than per block that can only be passed through to the end consumer anyway. Yeah. Uh, yeah. it, it is it's just insanity more contributions more red tape more uh, issues obviously and these are real issues with environmental stuff yeah i, I don't know how you solve the problem Brendan. yeah 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 and and the approval process because it all takes time right so you've got all of those things to be analyzed on the way through mm-hmm. and there's a whole industry contributing time which costs money to get those those approvals in place and it's just not an efficient process and it's as you are more than well aware it's much worse in some local councils than others so mm-hmm. yeah I don't know if that's good news or bad news. <laughs> well, the only I'm trying to think of the opportunity for listeners there. So one might be if you're looking to build into the future, then not such a bad time to go and secure a block of land, but you've got to be prepared to sit on it. So you've got to be able to afford to sit on it until the trending construction prices comes down and that could be the back end of the year for single residential. I would expect we maybe see builders, single residential builders start to incentivize some they of the sales. because they're, they're, yeah. their pipeline would be minimal right now. Yeah, and they'll be looking around and go, well, this is what we've done our whole lives. We can't shut down. Mm. So where do we create our the kitchen next- package and the aircon package comes back in the newspaper yeah. soon. Yep, and we've seen the the uh, get an MG in the driveway. That's the Chinese version of the MG, not a yeah. classic sports car, in the driveway at uh, Slub Down and those kinds of things from one builder at the moment. So yeah. Yeah, it's starting. Yeah, yeah and, and, and we've been forecasting that for the last six months because we knew that it had to get to that point where people, the industry has to start incentivizing people back into that space because when you incentivize someone to build their own home, you are then freeing up a house for sale or for rent somewhere else most of the time. Yep. It's the only way. Yeah. And so just to summarize maybe what pressure might be around the property and construction sector at the minute. So you've got a situation where you're making no money because of your current pipeline of work that you have to finish. You're carrying cost in terms of materials and people and projects. You're meant to then handle that pressure, then get your head around the fact that you need to create more pipeline to keep your business going. Mm. And to do that, and create that pipeline, you've got to go out and discount your product. Yeah. Just spend a couple of minutes thinking about that and your head starts to explode. Yeah, yeah, you wouldn't want to be a builder right now. No. I've heard some massive numbers that some of the big builders are covering in terms of losses over the last 12 months. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they'll, they, they're well-run business, businesses. Yeah, lots they'll of money, know, don't worry about them. But. But, um, <laughs> no, they know what's happening, right? They'll yeah. be, it's not like they're flying blind, yeah. but trying to work out where you go next in terms of getting the sales in the door to make sure that the pipe keeps flowing is another question. Brendan, thanks so much yeah, cheers, for mate. your time, mate. It's been a really... Is that positive enough to finish on? I think I, we're okay I, I for think, 2023. Uh, theme like, of the conversation. Yeah, yeah. Prices cannot go down. Yeah. Most, in most suburbs, they're expected to go up. If you're on the fence, buy a house. Yeah. If you're going to do it, just, just get on with it because it's only going to get harder for you. If you're looking to rent, I feel really sorry for you. Yeah. Uh, and I don't think it's going to get any easier. Uh, you're probably going to have to compromise somewhere. Yep. Uh, that's and, probably the uh, themes. Yeah, and then government, maybe you can think about Please. how we create some yeah, temporary accommodation in, yeah. our, <laughs> in our city. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Thanks, Cheers, Brenda. mate. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Perth Property Show. If you've only just joined the conversation, you can catch up by heading over to our website, perthpropertyshow.com.au, subscribing to the podcast or joining our Facebook page. Don't forget to tune in next Monday at 7am for more expert insights, local analysis and suburb spotlights. Happy hunting!